we appreciate your hospitality and your kindness to us, and you folks are so so kind, and appreciate your attention each evening and uh, some of the feedback that you've shared with me about how the Lord has used the messages. That's always encouraging, and so I trust that the Lord will use the message tonight as well, and may it be an encouragement to each and every one of us uh, in this task of entering in. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles again tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've been talking about entering in. And by that, we mean that we need to ask the Lord and then make, be laboring and be wise and look for opportunities to enter into people's lives around us, to share the gospel and tonight we make our way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And as Paul was speaking about the manner of their entering in, these verses talk about their behavior while they were entering in. And he says this in verse number 10, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now you'll notice here that the Apostle Paul speaks about their reputation or the behavior that he and those who were on his mission team had, among those who got saved and who were being discipled. Tonight in the message, I want to remind each and every one of us that a large part of entering into the lives of those around us has to do with what we do and not just what we say. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, we're thinking only about the message that we're communicating, the things that we're saying, the questions that we're asking. And in reality, our life is also communicating a very important message. Both saying and doing are important parts of evangelism. Now tonight, bear in mind that I'm not teaching or preaching that we only have lifestyle evangelism, that by living a Christian life, somehow the world is going to understand the gospel and they're going to come beating our doors down trying to find out what they need to, be, need to do in order to be saved. That's not what we're teaching tonight. But what we are teaching is that in combination with the things that we are saying, the gospel that we are preaching, there also should be the gospel that we are living. There also should be a marked difference in our lives. Our behavior matters. Notice, first of all, he says in verse number 10, ye are witnesses. And what this reminds us of is the examination of our behavior. And just to put it simply tonight, people are watching. You see, the idea of a witness is of someone who's a spectator or someone who observes something that takes place, and they can testify to it. It's someone who has seen something, and therefore they can give a testimony to it. And the Apostle Paul says about their life, those who were there preaching the gospel, he says, ye are witnesses. You saw 
how we lived. Many people are witnesses to our behavior. And you and I should be aware that if they know that we're Christians, it's very likely that they're watching with keen attention. They're paying attention. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity for someone to say to you, I thought that Christians didn't do that. I I didn't think that Christians were allowed to be involved in that. That's humbling, isn't it? When, when someone rebukes you for your behavior who you know to be unsaved because they understand something about what a Christian should, be, should and should not be doing. Do you know tonight that the world expects a Christian's walk to match their talk? The world is really looking for genuine Christians. They want to see people who don't just say things in a self-righteous manner, but who actually live those things out. The world is thirsty for that sort of a thing, even if they're mocking about it. And even if they're sort of skeptical about it, there is a sense in the world where people would like to see authentic Christianity. The other thing that I have observed is that the world knows how Christians are supposed to act. Sometimes, things that Christians are arguing over, whether they should or should not do, the world will be quick to say, Christians aren't supposed to do those sorts of things. And we do hear a lot, don't we, about hypocrisy. And we hear people say things like, well, I would go to church or I would be a Christian, but I've encountered a lot of hypocrites there. Now, I don't think that's a good motivation for someone not to seek the Lord. I don't think that's a good motivation for them not to go to church. But what they're expressing is, I've met a lot of Christians whose walk didn't match their talk. And if we're going to enter into people's lives, it's going to be important for us to be genuine in our walk. Now, I'm not suggesting tonight that we're going to be perfect or without sin but I do mean that we're going to be genuine and real Christians because there are people who are examining our behavior. Now, when we think about how our behavior is being examined, that really provides us with accountability and motivation. And this ought not to be a burden to us as Christians. It ought to be something that causes us to say, you know, I want to be a good testimony for the Lord. I I want other people to think a lot of the salvation that God has given to me. I want them to see a change in my life. I I want my life to be genuine and real. Now, you'll notice he says there, ye are witnesses, and he uses a couple words which we'll look at in just a moment, holily, justly, and unblameably, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Do you know tonight that all of us have a story that is being told by our conduct? As the world is watching, certainly our neighbors are paying attention, our family is watching, our co-workers are scrutinizing our behavior and the decisions that we make, and as we are living out our life, there's a story that is being told in our conduct, in our attitude, in our treatment of others, our words that we use, our work ethic, and all sorts of other things that people are watching, and yes, they are judging. They are paying attention, and they're trying to evaluate, is is it really true? Is Christianity for real? Is this person 
a real Christian. You know, there's been times, I don't like tattletales. But sometimes, every once in a while, an unsaved person will contact me and say, is such and such a person a member of your church? Why, yes, they are. Well, I think that you ought to know that they are, and usually it's some sort of hearsay or something that they're torqued at, you know, the person supposedly mistreated them or something like that. And I'm always very careful with those kind of things. But remember that people are watching and people are talking. People are paying attention to our story, our testimony, the examination of our behavior. I, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. And of course, my children are growing up in a pastor's home. And sometimes people say, Oh, you know, it's so hard being a pastor's kid. It's so difficult. And, and I usually say, it is awful. It's just terrible. I hate, hate, you know, pastor's kids. No, I don't really say that. You know, it, it is what it is. I will tell you one thing. It was profitable and good for me to grow up in a pastor's home. Despite the fact that, you know, people were watching, I knew that I was accountable. I knew that there were people paying attention to the decisions that I was making, and it made a difference in other people's lives. And for me, that was motivation to live the life that God wanted me to live. And that's how it ought to be for us, because people are watching. Don't let it be something that you say, oh, I wish everybody would just leave me alone. When can I ever relax? When can I let my hair down? Okay, you got the wrong idea about the behavior that God wants you to have. People are watching. They're examining. But then notice something in this passage about the expectation concerning our behavior. There is an expectation, not the expectation that people have, but the expectation that God has. And in verse number 10, he mentions three words that help us to think about three distinct aspects of our testimony or our behavior that have an impact on the gospel. But as we think about these three words, remember tonight that not only are other people watching, remember that God is a witness to our behavior. That's what it says in verse number 10, and God also. And God has some expectations that he has set forth in his word that have an impact on our testimony. In other words, God wants us to live in such a way that we adorn the gospel. That's what uh, in, in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse number 27, the Apostle Paul said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And that word becometh is like to adorn or to decorate. It's like a woman wearing jewelry that accents her outfit and, and sets it apart. That's the idea of how our life ought to become or adorn the gospel of Christ so that when people see our life, they're drawn to the gospel of Christ. Now, how should we live? And what are the things that are important to God about our behavior that can adorn the gospel? Well, there's three words three areas of our testimony that are referred to here in verse number 10. Notice, first of all, he says, how holily, holy behavior. And this idea of holy behavior, or the word holy, has to do with being set apart unto God. 
I, I think you're familiar with this passage or, or with this word. It's a, it's a common concept in our Bible. Old Testament and New Testament both speak about holiness. Holiness is an attribute of God, and holiness is something that God expects for us to pursue in our life. Holiness really describes our relationship with God and how our relationship with God affects our relationship with the world. Because we are set apart to God, we are set apart from sin and from worldly things. And this is what it means to be holy. This idea of separation or holiness means that we should be known for eschewing evil and desiring to be like Christ in all things. It ought to be common knowledge about us that while we don't profess that we have arrived or that we have come to the place of completion, we are diligently seeking to be like Jesus Christ in our lives. Even our unsaved family, our unsaved neighbors, our unsaved co-workers should understand that we are striving after the fullness of Christ and we are desiring for Christ to be formed in us. We want to be set apart unto God. Now, we have to be careful in this area of holy behavior that we don't develop a holier-than-thou attitude. That's not the emphasis here. Rather, it's speaking about genuine holiness or genuinely being separated unto God and separated from sin. And certainly, when that is the case, it will set you apart from the world. Turn with me. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 2 and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15. What is the standard of holiness which we are striving for? According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15, the scripture says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What is the standard that we're seeking after? The standard is we want to be like our Heavenly Father. We want to be set apart in the same way that God is set apart. Now, obviously tonight, we all recognize that we have not arrived. We, we are striving for that goal. We are pressing forward. But there ought to be a distinct difference in our lives when compared to the world around us, when it comes to the types of decisions that we make, the way that we live our life, the way that we conduct ourselves, we ought to be concerned about this aspect of holiness and we ought to desire to be set apart unto God and set apart from the world. This means there's going to be some things that we just will not be able to participate in. We can't go and uh, participate in all the things that everybody else at the office does. There's going to be some things that we're going to have to be no, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't be involved in that activity. I, I can't talk that way. I can't be involved in this business deal because you do know that it's not, it's not right. It's not integrity. It's not honest. And boy, that creates some uncomfortable situations, doesn't it? But God wants us to be holy. He wants us to live in a holy manner. Now, this idea of holiness has to do with our relationship with God, and this is where it starts. We are not to be so concerned about what everybody else is doing. 
as we are to be concerned about what God wants us to do. You know, when I think about some of our decisions as a family, some of my decisions as an individual, there are decisions that I have made for my life and for my family that I don't necessarily expect everyone else to make. I don't think everybody has to do it that way to be right with God, but there are things that God has put on my heart and that he, that he has impressed upon me. This is how things ought to be done in your family, in your life, so that you can be separated unto me. So it's not really about going around and trying to make sure everybody else is doing things right. It's really making sure that I am right with God. And this is what it means to walk with God and to let God uh, put, if you will, some boundaries on your behavior. To walk in the Spirit means that you're experiencing the Spirit putting some boundaries on your walk and saying, no, you ought not to go there. No, you ought not to do that because we have just limited time and limited resources and God has a specific plan for our life. And so we ought to be set apart to his purpose and set apart to his will. So there's our holy behavior and we ought to have this kind of relationship with God that we are living in a holy manner. But then second of all, he speaks about in verse number 10, how justly, justly. Now the word just speaks about our relationship with men most of the time. Most of the time when God speaks of justice, he is speaking of righteousness, integrity, or uprightness in the eyes of men. Holiness is righteousness in the sight of God and pleasing the Lord, but justice is how do I relate to other men. And in our lives, of course, we relate with all sorts of people. We relate with our family members. We relate with our neighbors. We relate with our coworkers. We relate with the people in our community, our neighbors. We relate with folks in the New Testament church. We relate with the folks that we do business with out in the marketplace, the, the people at the store, the gas station, this sort of thing. And God expects his people to act in a manner that is just. This means that we ought to be equitable and righteous in the way that we interact with other people. In all parts of our life, we ought to be trying to apply justice and make sure that our dealings are proper and right. This means things like, if I employ someone, I ought to pay my bills. If I ask somebody to do a job and they do that job satisfactorily, then they deserve to be paid, and I ought to pay them what the job is worth. This means that I ought not to try to take advantage of other people with business deals. This means that I ought to be careful even about my attitudes and the way that I speak to others and the way that I speak about others. I ought to be careful about things like gossip and sarcasm and criticism, and tail-bearing, and so on and so forth, because these are things that are unjust. These are things that affect my relationship with other people. So in my relationships with others, and we're not just talking about our relationships with saved people, but we're talking about our relationships with all sorts of people, we ought to make sure that we are applying the standard of justice, In my life, in my relationships, I want to make sure that I'm pleasing God in the way that I am treating other people. 
Now, when you love God with all your heart, Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, that will result in holiness. And it will also bring about loving your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus said that these two things, loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, really go together. And for most of us, the way that we love our neighbor is the litmus test for how we love God. Because it's easy to say, I love God whom I have not seen, but do you love your brother who you see every day? Do you care about your family members? Do you treat other people with respect and honor? Are you kind in your dealings? Are you honest? Are you just? How do you speak to and about other people. You see, it's impossible for you to love God properly without also loving your neighbor. You know, the sad thing is, there are people in communities all across this country who have had unjust dealings in their life from people who they knew claimed to be Christians and that turned them off to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone who claimed to be a Christian. Maybe it was even a pastor or something like that. And they were mistreated. And they, they from then on, will, whenever somebody speaks to them about the gospel, they'll say, well, this happened to me. This person who claimed to be a Christian did this. And it will always be their excuse for why they won't listen to the gospel. You see, as God's people, we ought to be very careful that we are living in a way that promotes justice. We ought to look and we ought to care about those who are oppressed and those who are grieved. You know, it is sad. There are, there are parts of the history of our country that are about injustice and inequality and things that are not right. And as Christians, we ought to care about those sorts of things. We ought to care about people who are pressed down people who are disadvantaged. We ought to care about those who are spoken about in an ill way. It's an unfortunate thing that sometimes as God's people, we profess to love God, but we're not really loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so there is holy behavior that is expected, and there is just behavior that is expected. And remember, Paul said, you are witnesses. You saw how holy and how just we behaved. There's a third category of behavior that God expects, and that is concerning unblameableness. Unblameably. How unblameably we behaved ourselves. What is unblameable behavior? Well, if holy behavior is our relationship to God, and just behavior is our relationship to men, then I suggest to you tonight that unblameable behavior is our relationship to questionable things. You see, there are things that people will disagree about. Good Christians will disagree about. Should you do this or shouldn't you do that? I think you should. I think you shouldn't. Now, there's something that we ought to always bear in mind about things that are a little bit unclear, that we're unsure of, and that is... 
It's our responsibility to live in such a way that our message would not be compromised by the choices that we make. We don't want someone to look at our life and have question marks about our testimony. And so there might be some things that are questionable. They might not necessarily be wrong. You know, in in my ministry, one of the things that I try to be careful about is I never counsel or meet with a, with a woman unless my wife is present or unless I am in a public place where there are many people around where there are witnesses to make sure that everything is right. Now, I wouldn't say that it's sin for a man to sit and talk with a woman who's not his wife, but the Lord impressed me a long time ago that that would be unwise and it would give opportunity for accusations to be made which don't need to be made. And so it's just easier to say, this is my line that I have drawn. Now, to some people, that line may seem to be unreasonably tight and it may cause some inconvenience because, frankly, sometimes it's difficult to work out a time. A lady needs to come for counsel and I need to say, well, I need to check with my wife and find out when she's available, and we'll have to work out a time that's mutually agreeable to all of us. And of course, we have six children, so that can be challenging, finding a time. But listen, my testimony is worth more to me than a little bit of inconvenience. I've got to be careful about that. I I want to make sure that I am unblameable. I want to make sure that I don't provide, and this is a way to think about this word, that I don't provide a handle for somebody to grab a hold of and make an accusation about the ministry which would damage the reputation of Christ, that would hurt the gospel message. As believers, there are things that are, maybe it's not clear in the scriptures that they're wrong. They're just not wise. I was talking with Pastor about this the other day. And, you know, for, for me and for my family, video games are one of these things. And I know that everybody plays video games and all, you know, young men especially just love video games and they're always playing games. And, and even, you know, young men that I know, they're talking about the games that they're playing and all that sort of thing. But I've told my boys, I, I really don't want you playing video games. It's not something we're going to bring into our house And it's not because we're better than everybody, and it's not because we think anybody who plays games is in sin or anything like that. But for us, it's one of those areas we just don't want to open that door up. We don't want to open up that door of temptation that could lead down a road. We don't want to open up that temptation to time-wasting and all the things that go along with it. You see, it's just an area where we've said it may not be wrong, but it's not for us. And so if I'm going to be involved in the ministry, I'm going to have to be careful about my walk, the decisions that I'm making. Remember what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, just turn over there with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 15 real quickly. And notice what the scripture says, because this is so helpful to us. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. That idea of walking circumspectly means that you're walking and you're paying attention to what is in front of you. Several years ago, I was in Thailand and we were visiting our missionaries that were living there. Uh, They still live there in northern Thailand. And my brother Samuel was with me 
And one evening, he and I decided to go for a jog. And so the, the Williams live kind of out on the edge of town. And so just beyond their neighborhood, you can get out into a little more rural area. And there's rice paddies and, and roads, lanes that go up in between them and that sort of thing. So we, we went we went for a jog and we were running along. And Sam, uh, he's 13 years younger than me. So he's having a lot easier time jogging than I was. And I've just about given that up now. And... Uh, it's, it's easier on me not to jog. Anyway, he was running. He was a little ahead of me, and we were just jogging along. And all of a sudden, I saw Sam in midair contort his body and go like this. And just as I realized what was going on, I realized that I was about to land on what he was trying to avoid, which was a cobra. And thankfully, it was smashed and dead. But it's startling in mid-stride to see a cobra under your foot. You see, we probably should not have been jogging out in the middle of the rice paddies. Probably not a good idea. In fact, we said at that point, let's head on back. I think it's time for our jog to be over. I don't think I want to jog in places where I'm seeing dead snakes. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? It means to be careful about the decisions that you make. If if you knew, if you knew that there was a nest of cobras in your yard, you would be really careful where you put your feet. You would be careful where you walked. You would certainly be looking all around because you would be aware that at any time you could encounter one of those beasts and that would not be a pleasant encounter. As Christians, we ought to be vigilant. We ought to be sober because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What that means is he would like to put some handles on your life to discredit the message of the gospel and the ministry. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be circumspect. We've got to be diligent in the decisions that we make. What does the verse say down here on the plaque? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now when we think about our light shining, we often talk about sharing the gospel and telling people about the message of salvation. But that verse specifically talks about the light shining through our life. That which people are going to see is our good works. They're going to see the changed life. They're going to see the transformation that has taken place in us, and that is going to cause them to say something is different in their life, and it will cause them to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now remember, we're not taking away from the fact that we ought to be preaching the message. But it is tragic when someone is preaching the message and living a life which is totally different. It discredits the ministry. Some of you may be familiar with the tragedy, the tragic story of Ravi Zacharias. He's a very well-known apologist, a dynamic public speaker, and, by the way, had many tremendous arguments for the gospel, and for convincing people about the truth and veracity of the scripture. But after he died, and things started coming out about his behavior, many people 
have stepped completely away from him. And all of a sudden, many of the things that he taught have been discredited because of his testimony. A doubt or a shadow has been cast upon the things that he taught, even though many of those things were true because of how he behaved himself. Be careful about your testimony because it can make the difference in someone's eternity. There is an examination of our behavior. People are watching. There is an expectation of our behavior. God wants us to live in a certain way. But third of all, consider with me the exhortation from our behavior. Now, at first glance, it may not seem that verse 10, 11, and 12 are related but actually they all flow together as a single thought. So verse 10 talks about their testimony. And Paul could say, you saw our testimony. You saw how we lived. You know what was going on in our life. You know that we had an excellent, unblameable, holy, just testimony. And then he says in verse 11, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. The exhortation from our behavior. And what I mean by this is that when our behavior is what it ought to be, there is an exhortation that comes from the way that we live that matches that which we are saying. You'll notice here that he says, we exhorted, we comforted, and we charged every one of you. Think about those three words real quickly. To exhort, means to call near or to invoke. It means to call others to come up and walk with you. It's the idea, I'm going here. Do you want to come with me? Come alongside. Let's walk together. Exhortation. Sometimes people get the idea of exhortation as pointing a finger and saying, go do that. That's not exhortation. Exhortation is, come do this with me. Exhortation requires for our testimony to match what we are encouraging other people to do. Because by its definition, it means that we are doing that same thing and we are inviting them to join us in the doing of it. Exhort. So if the gospel is real to you and you have the power of God in your life and you have a real relationship with God, you can exhort someone and say, come with me and understand what it means to have a real relationship with God and to live for him and to believe the power of the gospel. But if the gospel is weak to you and your relationship with God is not vital and real, it's going to sound flat and unconvincing to say to someone, you need to be saved and be a follower of Jesus Christ because they're going to look at you and say, well, what about you? Doesn't seem like your walk matches your talk. So he says, we exhorted you. Exhortation is important. Exhortation requires a life that is consistently lived for the Lord. Not only did he say we exhorted you, he says we comforted you. And the word comfort is encouragement and consolation. It's, it's a word that is very similar to that name for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's the one who comes alongside to encourage and console. Now, the people that we minister to need this sort of encouragement and consolation because the adversary will be telling them, you don't need to believe this. You don't need to walk that way. 
Don't bother with those things. And what they need is the comfort of someone who is walking in that way, saying to them, no, you really can, by the power of God, live in this way. You really can experience the presence of God. It's a comforting thing for people when they find out that God is real to someone else. So many people are wondering, is God real? Is the gospel true? And honestly, they've seen so much hypocrisy and they've seen so many professing Christians who've let them down that many people have become cynical and jaded and they've gotten to the place where they say, there's no way that any of that is true. To meet an authentic Christian who can comfort and encourage them with the truth that God is real and can be trusted and that they have experienced his power is something altogether different. Exhorted, comforted, and charged. And the word charged means to share the personal experience that you have to encourage other people on. To charge means that I can speak about it from a place of experience. I can speak about it from a place of having seen it myself. It's the idea that I can say to someone, I know what it means to read my Bible and have God speak to me. Let me share with you what God is doing in my life. See, that that is such an encouragement because then people say, I want that. I want that kind of a relationship with God. So he exhorted, he comforted, he charged. What was it that gave him the ability to exhort, comfort, and charge? It was his behavior. If his behavior didn't match what he was teaching, all of it would have been compromised. None of it would have made sense. It would have been like one of those discordant chords where somebody... Did you ever hear somebody playing a song and, and, they, and they hit the wrong key in the chord and it went, ah. Uh. And, and usually what happens, you know, if they're a skillful instrumentalist is they'll quickly move to resolve that because they'll hear it themselves and they can't just leave it alone. I got to get that right because otherwise it feels like the song is, oh, it's so good. And that's how it is when someone is preaching the truth of the gospel, but their life, their behavior is not matching up with what they're saying it leaves people with this sense of a discordant chord and it leaves them with a sense of uh, no satisfaction. Wait, is this for real? Is this right? So if our behavior is not what it ought to be, then we're going to find that we're not going to be able to exhort others. Now he did this as a father does to his children. How does a loving father deal with his children? Well, a father has responsibility. For instance, if I see my son do something that is wrong, I have a responsibility to address that in his life as his father. Depending on the situation, many times I'll wait until later, and I might pull my son. I have four of them, so you don't know which one I'm talking about. I might pull him aside and say, Son, I saw what happened. That was disappointing. You shouldn't have handled it that way. Let's talk about what should have been done differently. 
That's my responsibility as a father. Sometimes as a father, my responsibility is right in the moment to say, knock it off. Stop it. That's my responsibility. A a father has responsibility. As believers, we have a responsibility to be involved in people's lives. We have a responsibility to speak truth to them. A father not only has responsibility, but a father has experience. A father has walked the road and has been down that road many times. And there's times when I sit with my children and I can talk with them about things that happened in the past and I can say to them, you know, I understand what you're going through. I understand the pressure that you're under. I understand the temptation that you're facing. I've been there. I've experienced this. I've had to deal with this myself and I can speak to them with experience. You know, this is this is really helpful when you can talk with someone who is unsaved and you can relate to them. I know what it's like to be apart from God. I, I know what it's like to not be right with. I know what it's like to be under conviction. I know what it's like to want to be right with God, but to be grappling with understanding, this can be very helpful. So a father has responsibility and he has experience, but also a father has hopeful anticipation. Hopeful anticipation. Why would a father challenge his son? Why would he admonish or exhort his son in an area of his life not to deflate him, not to crush him, not to push him down, but rather to say to his son, I have anticipation of what you will become. I have anticipation of where you're going and I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to comfort you. And many times when we're speaking to people, as we're, as we're sharing the gospel, do we have this hopeful anticipation for how they're going to respond? Or have we become so cynical and negative towards the world that we've gotten to the point where we just don't even believe anybody cares about the gospel anymore? Uh, kind of like Jonah, you know? I'll tell you the message. I sure hope that you that you just reject it and God had, judges you and then I can watch you all burn And that's the attitude that some Christians come across with when they're sharing the gospel. It sounds like they're almost hoping that these people won't get saved, that they'll face the judgment of God. That's not the attitude a Christian should have. There should be hopeful anticipation that they're going to respond and that God is going to work in their life. What is the intended goal in our relating to others and in our this behavior that we have as we are entering into their lives The goal is in verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Our anticipation, the goal that we hope, is that these people would come to the knowledge of the truth. And then, that they would walk worthy of God. That they would themselves begin to experience the power of God in their lives. And this is an area where we have to challenge ourselves. Do I believe that the gospel still saves? Do I believe that God still can change lives? Do I believe that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation? Look in verse 13. He says about these folks in Thessalonica, and this is such an encouragement. He says, "Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word of God effectually works. It does, it's in, it completes its intended purpose. 
I tell you today, I got a text message from one of the men in our church. He has been witnessing to a co-worker, doing Bible studies with him literally for months. He's been meeting with him. He's been investing in his life. We've been praying for this man in our men's prayer meeting every week. We've been asking God to work in his life. And, and Jonathan just, he's like, ah, he's so close, but he just isn't getting it. Keep praying for him. He texted me today, brother, and he said, Carlos came to him today at lunch and told him that he believes he got saved. And Jonathan, you know, he's on top of the world. He's excited. He's woohooing in text message and all excited about what's happening in Carlos's life. And he said, you want to know the first thing that he wanted to do? He wanted me to go with him to tell another co-worker that he's been talking to about the things I've been talking to him about. He wasn't even saved yet. So he could tell him what had happened in his life and how he had gotten saved because he wants this other guy to get saved. Now, you can imagine that, that Jonathan's pretty pumped right now. Have we lost the confidence that God does this, though? That God changes lives? You see, the Word of God effectually works in the lives of those that believe. And to bring it full circle, the reason that we can have a behavior that complements and adorns the gospel is because the Word of God has effectually worked in our lives. This is not what we are naturally. This is not who we are outside of Christ. This is not what we can accomplish apart from the power and the, and the truth of the Word of God. But because of God's grace and because of the power of the gospel, our lives have been changed, and now we can go to a world with confidence and say, I'm not perfect, but I'm not the same person that I used to be, and I want you to have the same thing that I have. Go ahead and examine my life. Go ahead and see if you don't see that God has changed me And I want you to experience the same thing. If we're going to enter in to people's lives, it will be critical that our behavior is holy, just, and unblameable. And I want you to understand and be encouraged with the thought tonight that God still is in the life-changing business. He still saves souls. He still is effectually working and He wants to use you and me as the instruments or the vessels of his mercy in communicating that message to a world. Tonight, have you been thinking about who you're entering in to? Who are the people around you that God has been bringing across your path and giving you opportunities to enter in to them? Maybe there's someone that through this week God has been putting on your heart, putting on your mind, bringing to your attention each night, and you've been thinking about them. How can I enter into them? How can I get involved in their life? How can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? How can I make a difference in their life? I want to challenge you tonight. Begin praying for them and begin asking God to show you how you can enter in and allow the gospel to be effective and useful in their life. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this week and these dear folks. I pray that you would help them as they seek to be witnesses of the gospel of Christ. I pray that you would use them here in this community. I pray, Father, that you would encourage and help them 
as they seek to be used of you as light and salt in this world. We praise you and thank you for your word, which effectually works in the hearts of those that believe. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.